0: It's interesting, in seminary we had to read some of the early church councils and some of the declarations that they made. It's very interesting what you can find in there. One of the early councils was condemning a heresy that I don't even know if it has a name or not. But this is what the council said regarding one of our scripture passages today. If anyone says that the apostles did not receive the Holy Spirit in the upper room, on the evening of the resurrection, when Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, let him be anathema. And that last line basically means, let him be cut off, excommunicated from the church, for they do not believe what we believe. So it's very astounding, when you think about it, that the apostles did indeed receive the Holy Spirit in the upper room, as our gospel tells, because... This seems contradictory to the Holy Spirit being given at Pentecost, the great story that we read in our first reading. So how do we reconcile this seeming contradiction? One of the best ways to understand, or or one way to understand this distinction, is different types of grace being received. Different comings of the same Spirit. So, for example, there's two types of grace. When we talk about grace, we talk about sanctifying grace and gratuitous grace. The difference between these two different graces, sanctifying grace is grace for our salvation. It's the grace that makes us pleasing to God, allows us to be received into the heavenly kingdom, wipes away sins, and makes us adopted sons and daughters so we can truly call God our Father. That's God working in us without us. That's sanctifying grace. Now, the other grace is gratuitous grace. For gratuitous grace, it's grace that's not for our salvation, it's actually for the salvation of others. It's gifts that we've received. So that we may do the Lord's work in his kingdom to bring other souls to God. So that others may experience sanctifying grace through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Gratuitous grace is God working in us, with us. There's a collaboration that we experience. These aren't just gifts that we receive, like sanctifying grace, and don't do anything with. These are gifts that we receive And God invites us to collaborate in the mission of Jesus Christ, his son, in order to save the souls in the world. So we can see in the upper room what the apostles receive is something more akin to sanctifying grace than gratuitous gifts, or certainly at least the sacrament of ordination. We see it tied to the words, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven them, whoever sins you retain are retained. So at least we're talking about the grace of ordination, priestly ordination, and could be something more. So I've been back and forth with some of my brother priests this week, trying to figure out this one question, which is, when were the apostles baptized? We haven't been able to find an answer, so if you have a good guess, maybe let me know at the end of Mass at least they received it at this moment, if not before. It's hard for me to go before because Jesus hadn't died and been resurrected, so the Holy Spirit hadn't been sent. But at the same time, we already read in the Last Supper discourse that Jesus says, you have already been made clean by the word that I have spoken to you, and that he who washes, who is already clean, has no need to wash except for his feet. So we know these lines, so I have no idea when the apostles were actually baptized. At the end of the day, it's not that important. When you're walking with Jesus or when you're in heaven, when you see God face to face, there are no sacraments, right? So, in a certain sense, being with the Lord Jesus Christ, he's still in his humanity, so they need that grace somehow. But I have no idea where it happened in the scriptures. In any case, The thing that these two passages of the Holy Spirit contrast the upper room with Jesus appearing to them and the upper room at Pentecost is a different giving of the same Holy Spirit. What do the apostles do once they receive this grace at Pentecost? They're empowered with gratuitous gifts to speak in tongues for the salvation of others present. They're proclaiming the gospel to all these people who speak different languages. And they have the boldness that they don't have before. Before, they locked the upper room for fear of the Jews. But once they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, not only do they speak in different languages, but they have that courage to go out and proclaim the gospel no matter what. We call those gratuitous gifts. It's more than just sanctifying grace. It's gifts given for the sake of salvation of others that they may come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a huge distinction in our readings today. It was said to me in seminary that the relationship of the different members of the Trinity when they are sent on mission, it's that each member reveals who the previous member of the Trinity is. So this is what he meant. The Son, his whole mission, his whole mission of being sent, was about revealing the Father. That was his main mission, to reveal who the Father was, to teach us how to pray our Father, to reveal that we were children of our Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit was sent to reveal the Son. We hear lines in the Gospel like, But when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you with the Father... He will bear witness to me. So the Son reveals the Father, and the Holy Spirit reveals the Son. But the question is, who reveals the Holy Spirit? When we look at who reveals the Holy Spirit, we look at God's continued work in the world. The one who reveals who the Holy Spirit is, the one's, are the saints, and it's you and me. It's the church herself that reveals the person of the Trinity of the Holy Spirit. There's so many different ways in which sanctity is lived out, so many ways in which the Holy Spirit, we can see his work within souls. And it's through looking at these examples of different saints that we can truly see who is this Holy Spirit that enlivens hearts and minds and bestows such various gifts. As G.K. Chesterton points out, the example of St. Francis of Assisi, who's about as pacifist as you can get, versus St. Joan of Arc, who literally led the entire French army at the age of 17, fought in numerous battles, saw a lot of gore and blood and death. How can you have one church that has both of these and recognizes them both as saints? That's how diverse the work of the Holy Spirit is to contain both Saint Francis of Assisi and Saint Joan of Arc. He says Saint Francis in praising all good could be more a more shouting optimist than Walt Whitman. Saint Jerome in denouncing all evil could paint the world blacker than Schopenhauer. This is pretty bold that our church recognizes such extreme paradoxes and seeming contradictions in the midst of her saints and yet each saint through their gifts through their living lives of holiness reveal the holy spirit in a particular way so our first task there's two tasks we have today task number 1 is to identify what gratuitous gifts god has given us what gifts do we have that lead us to reveal the work of the holy spirit We hear in our second reading, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. To each individual, the manifestation of the spirit is given for some benefit. Not for our salvation, for some benefit for the church. And then later on in the letter, he tells what these different gifts are. So listen to these gifts and see which one resonates with your experience of what you do, where you find your most fulfilling moments. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, then healers, helpers, administrators, speakers in various tongues, and interpreters of tongues. That's not an exhaustive list, by the way. So our first task is to understand, pray to the Holy Spirit, ask him what gifts we have received from him to glorify God in the midst of the church and to show forth who the Holy Spirit is. It's an inventory of our gifts and graces. You might have to ask your family members, they can tell both our faults and our gifts much better than probably we ourselves can. Uh, Father Richard can just name them off right away for me. So, The second task today is to take to heart Jesus' last words in our gospel, which is whoever sins you forgive are forgiven them, whoever sins you retain are retained. Yes, this is true for priestly ordination. The sacrament of confession is implicitly, well, explicitly in our gospel. And yet, we also show forth the Holy Spirit, reveal who he is, by our forgiveness of one another. Again, G.K. Chesterton, he talks about forgiveness in Christianity like this. Christianity came in startingly, startingly with a sword. And clove one thing from another. It divided crime from criminal. The criminal we must forgive unto 70 times 7. The crime we must not forgive at all. We must be more angry with theft than before and get much kinder to thieves than before. It's interesting in our world today, one of the biggest exceptions that the world takes to Catholicism, one of the biggest moments when the world opposes the church is specifically its teachings, especially in moral areas. The world can't wrap its mind around this contradiction, well, seeming contradiction, it's not actually a contradiction, of loving the sinner while hating the sin, the church is hated because it legitimately calls out things that are evil or unjust, things that the world says are good and most just. And despite the world calling these things good and yet not being good, the church receives this criticism and is being cast out in different areas of the world because the world has rejected the truth. But what the world can't seem to understand and receive is not only do we reject things as evil that the world thinks is good, but are actually evil, the world actually loves the people who commit those evils more than the world ever can. Because we're enlivened by the Holy Spirit and we're able to forgive seemingly unpardonable sins. And to be able to forgive just unforgivable sinners. That's what the church is able to do. So our second call today is to manifest this love of the Holy Spirit through the way that we live our lives and truly forgive one another. Seldom can you see such a great manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit in one's heart than to be able to forgive someone who seems unforgivable. When we see that story of someone whose family members may have been killed and we see such beautiful forgiveness almost right away, you think to yourself, how does this person have this ability to forgive the person that took their loved ones? And yet that's a supernatural revelation of the Holy Spirit. So let us answer this call to live the gifts given to us by God and to be able to forgive, to show forth the great love that Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit are poured into our hearts. Jesus says in a summary statement what his mission is here on earth. In the last words of his Last Supper discourse in John's Gospel, he says, all of this, that the love with which you, Father, have loved me may be in them and I in them. The love being the Holy Spirit. He summarizes the work of his work here on earth, being sent by the Father as that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He came not only that we have life, but have it to the full. He came not only to teach us how to pray our Father, but to actually give us the same Holy Spirit with which the Father loves the Son. He gives us the same Spirit that Jesus himself has received. We are called to love as Jesus Christ himself loved. And this is the beauty of the mission of the Son. So let us live lives so that others, when they see the way that we love, they may say, truly, not only is the love with which Jesus Christ, loved by the Father, in them, but it's now in me because of the love of these Christians that they have shown me.